Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We are talking food again today, the most nutrient-dense foods of all, superfoods. Our associate producer, Kristen Ponger, came up with the topic really as a reflection to the feedback we've gotten on our website and blogs and Facebook page. Superfoods are on people's minds as most of us come to a place at one point in our lives where nutrition and the nutrient density, the healthiness of what we eat, matters. Five superfoods boosting health and flavor, our topic here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Gentlemen, we had a very lively discussion about two I think both New York Times op-ed pieces that come from two different perspectives on a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and that is about agriculture and particularly the fact that we need, what is it, a million new farmers over the next decade? Yeah, actually, that is, that's the challenge right now. More and more farmers are in their late 50s or 60s and are getting ready to retire, and we will need to replace them in order to continue to have the food supply that we are used to. The New York Times always has featured food issues throughout the months and years in the more recent past. There was an article, Don't Let Your Children Grow Up to Be Farmers, by uh, Brent Smith, a shellfish farmer on Long Island Sound. And he was making the point that the society has not become a society that is based on agriculture. The economic sustainability of the four parts of sustainability, environmental, cultural, and social, the economic part has not been addressed in a way where farmers actually can make a living or even survive. The median farm income, for example, the average income per farmer or per farm in 2012 was a negative $1,400. So that's how the article starts. Actually, farmers lost money in 2012. And, you know, he goes on from there that a society built on agriculture really needs to take the economic sustainability of farming as an occupation into consideration. Otherwise, there's no future in it. The interesting thing about that article, and I, I really enjoyed reading it, it was actually a little disturbing when I read it. But yesterday, as I was reading the paper, I also found a piece that said, even though there were 95,000 fewer farms nationally that that decreased between 2007 and 2012, right? Which is a surprising number. The northeast of our country saw a 43% increase on average of the number of undergraduate students studying agriculture between 2004 and 2012. And actually, the West Coast had higher than that. And nearly Connecticut had a, a huge increase of nearly 200% by having more than 2,100 students now studying agriculture. So... 
they're not making any money in 2012. More people are getting into it. It seems like I, I was like I was going, well, wait a, a second. Storm, wait yeah. a second here. What's going on? And the great part of it for me in that article that I read yesterday is that the Young Farmers, the National Young Farmers Coalition, is actually now lobbying for policy changes to help beginning farmers get capital and find affordable land. One mm. of the things is, is that you know, these young farmers can't afford the land, and so they, they spend their money on land. And then they can't. It makes it gets very difficult when the for four or five years in to actually be making enough money to pay those land payments. Well, and you also, uh, if you have a lease agreement, even if it's over twenty years, you make land improvements. You know, you you build your farm around it, but you're constantly in that relationship of renting your land, and no business that grows and is that much land based is is well off. It might work in some instances, but really you want to own your own land just because in 20 years it's worth twice as much and the lease will increase inevitably. And then what, you, you lose your farm? Well, it's interesting that you're saying that, Helga, because that the, that's the logical notion. But yet at our seminar that we recently did, uh, Passion, Purpose, and Produce, Tom Willie was saying that he would actually recommend that most small farmers rent their land because to get to know the land first before they bought land. Hmm. He actually thought it was a good idea to get to know your piece of land and become intimate with it before you actually went out and bought land. That makes perfect sense to me, really, because there are so many subtle differences in your space that you need to learn over a period of time. And I would imagine an entire year at least worth of rental so that you see how different different parts of the space change every season. And even then, there are still a lot of unknowns because not every year is the same kind of year. But to not have had that intimate experience, as you said, with the land before you purchased it is really buying the farm. No, is that not the right <laughs> expression? <laughs> yeah. Well, economic sustainability is a huge topic, and it's something that has been neglected in this movement to a fair degree. I think this movement has birthed, you know, organic school lunches and chefs and restaurants and nonprofits and teaching centers. And yet, in the real world, where farmers hit the ground and work the ground and try to make a living, at least by the statistic, an, a negative income of fourteen hundred dollars in two thousand twelve. It's not working yet. So more work to be done in that regard to make economic sustainability a part of the overall picture of sustainability and the organic food movement. And Helga, when we were talking about this earlier this morning, you had a great idea is we see local on signs, we see organic on signs. Why not put farmer under 35 on the sign that know that you could actually... Yeah, or beginning farmer. Or, or beginning farmer. Know. I mean, there are lots of ideas that are flying around in, in that article, Don't Let Your Children Grow Up to Be Farmers. Brent Smith is suggesting there's a, you know, if you study agriculture, you get your, your, your loan fee waived, basically. Mm -hmm. You get your mm -hmm. loan paid back by the government. So there, there are real financial incentives that we need to look at as a country, as a nation, I think, if we, if we do want to add a million new farmers that are actually economically viable to the mix in the next 10 years, knowing the average age of the farmer in the U.S. is 56. So half of all farmers will reach retirement age in the next 10 years, and we do need to just replace those in addition to growing new farmers. Mm -hmm. So economic viability is one of the key issues at the heart of this movement and really a topic for the country. But yes, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Mark. Yeah. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic today is five superfoods boosting health and flavor. 
we're looking at what could be part of your diet to make it the most nutrient-dense diet of all. That and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We're talking superfoods today, boosting health and flavor. We picked five, even though there are a bunch more, which we might touch on, but we really want to focus on five superfoods that would make anyone's diet the healthiest it could be. Well, superfoods are really huge right now. And I think that there is a certain known list of superfoods that people are really familiar with. But there's also a whole list of superfoods that are just kind of waiting in the wings to be discovered and championed and get get their deserved fame. So that's what we're focusing on today, which is how you can get your most nutritious bang for your buck. Well, and it's interesting, Sita, because you're talking about a list, right? And so I was thinking, <laughs> okay, you know, what is a superfood? And when I started looking around, it's like, okay, I hear the term, we talk about it, nutritional journals all over the country, and it seems more like it's a marketing term than it is, you know, and that it does, there's not a specific thing. When I looked at it, it said that these foods are higher nutritionally or more nutritionally dense than other foods and lower in calories, but it seemed like... I mean, I could look up, there's a list of the five top superfoods, the 10 top superfoods, <laughs> the 50 top superfoods, and I was like... Okay, is everything a superfood? You know, why should I care what makes the foods that you see in these lists better than something else that you're eating? And that's why I was so fascinated about this show topic today. Well, we've done episodes on anti-inflammatory foods with Julie Daniluk. We've done longevity foods with Rebecca Katz. And there is a certain repetition to some of the items that are on this list because they are so nutrient dense and they have a lot of these properties, whether it's anti-inflammatory or they help with um, preventing the signs of aging. So I do definitely see your point. And, and I found it really interesting as well that when I was looking up what is the definition of a superfood, that one of the sources said, well, really, it's a marketing and branding technique mm -hmm. to imply greater nutrient density. And I just thought, imply. It just it comes down to this whole belief system, whether you think that it's empirically more nutritious or whether you're thinking that this is maybe not as beneficial as people make it out to be. Well, and more and more research is actually starting to back up what many people have believed for many it's years, true. and true. that is actually true. Yes. But there are these two groups. I think that's really true. There's the marketing under which, under the label superfoods, under which you find, you know, maybe even an energy bar with ingredients that you don't really agree with, or that not commonly from a nutritional point of view 
are categorized necessarily as superfoods. It's just a, gives you maybe super energy. So it's a superfood. Oh, food. I see what you're saying. So there's the, the marketing labeling, and then there's the category of extremely nutrient-dense foods that's out there, mostly in their completely unalterated form, unchanged, really unprocessed, unadulterated. That's the word you're There's the word. Unadulterated. <laughs> <laughs> the adult in me had to look again. And so you have these two categories. So not every label that, that says it actually is correct in that sense. But we want to talk about that latter group, the, the five real superfoods that boost health and flavor and that every study we've ever found points to as really amazing powerhouses of of health. Yes. Well, and I think it needs to be a whole food. If it's a superfood, it needs to be a food, a real food, a whole food. And so some of the ones that are really commonly accepted as superfoods Kale, for example, it's so high in antioxidants and calcium. People are really touting the fact that there's more calcium in a serving of kale than there is in a serving of milk. There's also blueberries, which has been on the list for a long time because of its antioxidant quantity. It's really a fantastic anti-inflammatory food. It's rich in a specific phytonutrient called anthocyanins, which research is showing is protective against cancer. Salmon, because it's a it's an omega-3 fatty fish and particularly the kind of omega-3s which are great for brain health and heart health, and it promotes more joint flexibility. There's yogurt because of its probiotics, which really help with your overall healthy gut bacteria balance and also general digestion. And also yogurt is a good source of protein, so that's another superfood people rattle off. Green tea, dark chocolate. So these are foods that, like we said, they've gotten their you know, they're they're 15 minutes of fame and then some really, and they should, because I don't think it should be a a trend or a fad that these foods are good to eat. They're good to eat. They just are. But there are more and we're going to explore those today. And they're not all produce. Ah, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) With a few examples, though, uh, exceptions, they are usually produce. But yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Mark. Great. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the first two on our list that you may or may not be eating. And we've grouped these two together because they share some traits. And that is walnuts and flax seeds. That that is, yes, walnuts and flax seeds. And both of these foods contain omega-3s. Now, the omega-3s that are in walnuts and flax seeds are the plant-based omega-3s, which are a little bit different. If, when you get into understanding omega-3s and how they behave in the body, there are omega-3s that break down. Um, they're called the EPA and the DHA. It has to do with the kind of structure that they are. And then you have the the plant-based ones, which are ALA. And the EPA and the DHA, those are more commonly found in your animal sources of omega-3. And the ALA are found in your plant sources like walnuts and flax seeds. Now, the ALA, alpha-linoleic acid, can be converted into the EPA and the DHA, which is where research is showing the most concentrated health benefits are coming from. But the conversion rate is not that high. So that's why people are usually saying going with a, a fatty fish, a cold water fatty fish is going to be 
a better source of omega threes. Now that we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But so the, the take home message here is not all fatty acids are created equal. Not all, <laughs> and particularly not all omega threes are created equal. And I'm happy that you point that out. And there's lots of really really good research out there. I mean, they're they're polyunsaturated fats. They're one of the polyunsaturated fats. They are they are great for brain health and memory. There's a lot of research that's showing how they help to make your cell membranes more receptive, more flexible. So physicists at IUPUI have found that the omega-3s are increasing the health and the integrity of the cells in your body that allow you to absorb more nutrients or more nutrients can pass into your cells. That's my understanding of what they're explaining and and they're physicists. So they're doing some really comprehensive tests on on omega-3s and and health. I love that. I love that nutrition is now really, uh, nutritional research and, and science is now changing from what does vitamin C do in the body, right? To, you know, you need 600 bioflavonoids in order to absorb vitamin C fully. Bioflavonoids that we didn't even really knew of just 30 years ago, and there might be thousands more. So it's interesting how nutrition is changing from a single vitamin approach or a single nutrient approach to what is the synergy of these? What do omega-3s allow you to do? It allows you to absorb more nutrients into your cell wall through a more flexible cell wall. So it's not just you're eating healthy fat as a fat itself, but what is the effect and how does that affect the uptake of other nutrients? So if you don't have that in your diet, for example, I'm sure it still matters how much you eat in nutrient-dense food otherwise, but it's really that concert of nutrients that makes a perfect healthy diet. Well, which comes, I have a couple questions then for you, Sita, is I hear a lot that you shouldn't just have omega-3s, that you need to have omega-6s within your diet to help both of them work better together. And then I like roasting walnuts just Mm. slightly, just for that flavor on a salad or in pancakes or something like that. So what is the deal around do we need omega-6s to help our omega-3s? Let's tackle that first, okay? okay? Omega-6s and omega-3s are both polyunsaturated fats. And omega-6s, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition talks about them as being your pro-inflammatory as opposed to your anti-inflammatory fatty acids. So omega-6s are pro-inflammatory, meaning that they can help. If you injure yourself, you want to have an inflammatory response to protect your body. So the omega-6s help you do that. The omega-3s are the anti-inflammatories. So it's important that you get these two in a good ratio. The University of Maryland Medical Center talks about the fact that the different societies have had a ratio, like non-industrial societies, they call, have had a ratio of like four omega-6s to one omega-3 to one omega-6 for every four omega-3. So that's the range. It's like four to one to one to four as a healthy balance of your sixes and your threes. Currently, the idea about how many omega-6s we're eating is anywhere between 14 to 25 times that amount. So it's right now the the common diet is about 16 omega-6s to one part omega-3. And that's because the omega-6s are found in a lot of the processed seed and vegetable oils like corn oil, uh-huh. soybean oh, oil, safflower oil. That's, that's the standard American diet. That's the diet. standard American diet basically is anywhere between 14 to 25 times what is traditionally considered a healthy balance. So you're eating pro-inflammatories. That's why many people deal with inflammatory responses, Um, not as a healthy reaction of the body to deal, I guess, as a healthy reaction um, of the body to deal with diseases, but totally amped up through these 
inflammation promoting oils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's also, I mean, omega 3s. Great question mark. Yeah, that was a really good question Thank mark. Thank you. <laughs> even um, even omega 3s have been found to be helpful in mood balance. The American Psychiatric Association recommends wow. that people consume omega 3s to help with um, mood balance. So, wow. This feels like one gigantic holistic bite, which it is. We, <laughs> <laughs> we well, just jumped over your usual segment, the holistic bite, intentionally, because today's topic is five superfoods boosting health and flavor here on an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Wilkay. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And Helga, one of the things that I like so much about what we do in the Holistic Bite is we tell you about what research shows why foods and different things are good for you, but also how to eat it then. So we're talking about walnuts and flax seeds, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about how you can eat more of it. And actually... And Mark had a second question about roasting walnuts, the nut oil. Does that alter it? Does why that don't you get it? into it? Why don't you talk about that, Sheeta? <laughs> well, so the oils are volatile. They're, they're very sensitive. And when you expose them to light and temperature, they will change. So you have to look at how fragile the oils are. And usually we're talking about a low smoke point. So something like 325 or Mm. 350 degrees. When you get above that, you start to damage the oils. So I'm always a little bit critical isn't exactly the right word, but I'll just go ahead and use it. Hesitant. When a recipe says roast your nuts at 400 degrees or more, I'm thinking that's just too, that's just too high to protect these volatile oils. So as far as how that affects the fatty acids, I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like it's it's probably a good rule to, if you're going to toast your nuts and seeds, and by the way, the smaller the nut and seed, the easier it is to toast it on your stovetop rather than in your oven. Mm-hmm. So like sesame seeds and flax seeds, not people don't toast flax seeds really, but sesame seeds, when you toast those, you do those on your stovetop for a more even color as opposed to putting them in your oven where they might burn too quickly. Mm-hmm. Walnuts you can do in your oven, but I would keep them. I try and keep, I actually personally try and keep mine at about 300 just to be on the same side. And we're side. talking a minute or two, not it, more. I mean, really short exposure well, it, to crisp them up a little bit. Sometimes it's more than a minute, but it depends on the size and it depends on the on the heat. If you're doing it on your stovetop, how high you have your flame. We do have a really great blog about flax on anorganicconversation.com. We talk about grinding it in regular intervals and storing it in your freezer to protect those oils from going rancid, only grinding as much as you're going to eat so that you go through it more quickly, and how to use it in smoothies or sprinkling it over salads or putting it in your oatmeal. The World's Healthiest Foods website has a really great recommendation because they talk about the quantity of omega-3s in these two items. There's 2.7 grams of omega-3 in a quarter cup of walnuts and 6.3 grams of omega-3 in a quarter cup of flax. So they say if you do a blend, a quarter cup of walnuts plus one tablespoon of flaxseed, you're going to get four grams roughly of omega-3 fatty acid, which is a really healthy balance. So you can consider using that over your salads or your oatmeal. You can put it in your smoothies. You can also just use the oil. You can use walnut oil and flax oil. And actually, I had a a naturopathic doctor who had me on a regimen of one tablespoon of walnut oil with dinner every night. And man, the health, really, for me, I was taking it because I wanted to improve my skin at the Mm -hmm. time. And the benefits were, I mean, they were obvious, you could see them, it was really improving my skin clarity. So wow. Yeah. Beautiful. We're talking superfoods today here on An Organic Conversation, five superfoods boosting health and flavor. We're tackling walnuts and flax, which we just covered. And coming up is sweet potato, coconut, and spirulina. 
which for some might be a challenge, but we have some great ideas of how to bring that into your diet. This is An Organic Conversation, and I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We're tackling what is hip. It seems like everyone is talking about it. Superfoods. What is a superfood? Uh, we picked the five most unknown superfoods. Walnuts, flax, sweet potato, coconut, and spirulina. We just heard about walnuts and flax. Let's dive into sweet potato. Well, of course we should, especially since we're going into the autumn. And mm. this is a time when a sweet yeah. potatoes seem to start getting their star power back. They are they could be a daily food. I mean, I think that we tend to go, as a society, we tend to go grab, you know, fingerlings and russets and yellow fins and things like that. But sweet potatoes are a remarkable food. As a matter of fact, in the Revolutionary War, all the soldiers would not have gotten through the Revolutionary War if it wasn't for the sweet potato. It was a cheap source of food, but it was a nutrient-dense source of food. And the interesting thing is, you know, people probably recognize sweet potatoes because of their orange color, like you always talk about, Sita, as being high in uh, beta-carotene. But they're also high in calcium. They're high in vitamin C. And the interesting thing is they also have, they also contain sporamins, which is actually something that prevents the oxidative damage to our cells. Like you were talking about with the omega-3s, right? They're absorbing nutrients. This is actually helping to prevent that oxidative damage that you know often happens from poor diet or poor choices. The other thing about sweet potatoes is that often you'll roast them. Often, that's the way I see them most of the time, maybe sweet potato fries. And you go, mm, maybe I shouldn't be doing fries. But it's actually a little oil, a little bit of fat actually helps you get more beta carotene out of the sweet potatoes. That is actually something we've talked about on the show before. When um, Helga refers to ordering carrot juice in Germany, you have to, not have to, but it's just common practice that they give you a little bit of fat with your juice. You have What? to. Yes, you have to. Uh, <laughs> you would need to say that you don't want any fat with it because it, it's just cultural tradition that when you order carrot juice, it comes usually with a little blob of cream or alternatively now that you know some people don't do dairy with olive oil. So they might ask you. If they don't ask you, you get it with cream. If they do ask you, they will ask cream or oil. Mm. And you get just like a little spritzer of olive oil or cream into your carrot juice in order to absorb the vitamins fully. If you don't want that, you would, in most places, restaurants, you would need to say that, please, no cream or oil. 
And that's so interesting because I've never heard this before. Hmm. And yet in Germany, it's a common practice. And you would think that here in the United States, with especially the way, people are, <laughs> yes, the, the way that people are looking at juicing, the way people are looking at superfoods and their health and stuff, that, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never heard about putting you know, a little bit of fat to get more beta carotene out of whatever you're eating. Well, you know, we just had that show on vitamins and minerals, and this is an interesting thing to talk about, is that some of them are water-soluble and some of them are fat-soluble. Mm-hmm. So you do actually extract more of the nutrients when you understand how your body absorbs it. And then there are other initiatives that retail stores or health food stores now do here in the country that are not common in Europe yet. For example, the Andy Guide, which I don't think has really gotten yet the the recognition that it actually stands for. In some stores, you will find that it stands for Aggregate Nutrient Density Index. And it's almost like the food pyramid when that first came out. People thought, you know, eat as much candy as you can because that was the biggest base. <laughs> but it was not, or that was at the top of the pyramid, actually. That was That's sweet. That was and the, yeah, that was the goal. <laughs> the most of that. So they've changed the model now a little bit to just as how to display that. So things take time until they really catch on and, and understood and used and applied in society. But the aggregate nutrient density index, the Andy guide, really actually shows the nutrient density of the food on a scale from one to a thousand. And it's just like calories. If we truly took this in and, and adopted this as a standard or practice for us to how we shop, it's really interesting as we look at fats now and trans fats are, are basically disappearing from our diet because we now have proven enough and people are rejecting those enough for large food manufacturers to really phase them out finally. But as people look at calories and as fats or unhealthy fats, it would be interesting to really make this part of society to a degree where the Andy Guide is part of the shopping list. Well, and one thing that I like about this being different is that it's not talking about the macronutrients as much, you know, which we're familiar with. How many calories is in specific food? What's the fat content? What's the carbohydrate content? The Andy Guide is calculating the nutrient density of the food based on its range of micronutrients, including vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and antioxidant capacities. And I think that this is the new world. This is like the new micro world of understanding health and nutrition. Yeah, rather than saying, you know, this food is rich in vitamin C and that's it, to just have an overarching understanding of, of in this case, superfoods, but really of the healthier options. And as you always say, Mark, if you introduce more produce into your diet, for example, you will eat something else less. And that's a good idea. It's not about getting rid of your new existing diet and creating everything anew. But even if you just add that big kale salad or, or that smoothie with flax seeds, it will replace something that you would have eaten instead of it. And that's already a huge step in the right healthful nutrition direction. And I actually think this is the future of retailing. I really think that the future of retailing is that, you know, Tom Willie, when I had a discussion with him a long time ago, he said your farmer should be just as important as your lawyer or your doctor or or these other people in your life. And I really think, and Helga, you've said this many years, that farmers actually need to be nutritionists to understand the food they're growing. I think that the retail marketplace is going to become the place where you learn how to eat again. And Tom Willie, of course, is T.D. Willie Farms, Tom and Dines Willie leaders in the organic food movement here on the west coast of the United States, been part of the organic movement for 
decades. Big shout out to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Whether or not, I always said that, but whether or not farmers actually will become nutritionists. But it's interesting that the number one shopping reason for people in health food stores has been health for decades and has never changed. It's not environmental reason, it's personal health reasons. And then environmental health being ultimately, obviously, part of that and directly connected to personal health. But really, people walk into a health food store to, to buy health. And I don't think stores are quite there yet. They sell food. And mm -hmm. so this Andy score, as one of the many ideas that, that are being discussed, will is showing the new generation of nutritional education that, that we will get and that we will see in, in natural food stores. And can you imagine if you went to your produce department and right next to the carrot wheel was some pints of cream? or some olive oil right next to it, just like what you were talking about, and created right. that association right yes. there. Or even just a little chalkboard that recommended it. You or, know, that's yeah. the kind of yeah. education you know? that we need. You know, the mm -hmm. kind of, did you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so we've got a couple more superfoods okay. to cover. <laughs> and I love this conversation. But before we move away from sweet potatoes, I want to add something about complex carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Because there are some diets that recommend that you eat complex carbohydrates in the evening as part of your dinner meal. So some people say don't eat carbs before bed because you're not going to burn them and the sugars and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything really comes down to what's right for your body. But something to consider about the people who do recommend carbohydrates at dinner time is that complex carbohydrates help make tryptophan more available. Mm. And so your body can actually increase its release of serotonin. And that will allow you to get a more balanced sleep cycle. This is really great research that's been done by the brain and cognitive sciences at MIT. So really an excellent thing to consider to help you get into a healthy sleep cycle is to have something like sweet potatoes as part of your dinner meal. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we are talking about superfoods today in this episode, boosting health and flavor. We're looking at five superfoods, walnuts, flax, potato, sweet potato, coconut, and spirulina. Um, and you're touching, Sita, on the biochemical individuality. I think with nutrition, once you know everything that you could possibly know, it all needs to become relevant for your body, for your age, for your type, for what feels right, for your lifestyle. Are you an athlete? Are you not? Are you a senior? Are you not? So I think opening the world of health in nutrition and then having becoming a, a good guide for yourself or finding a good guide or hopefully having health food stores help you with that. And even that, right, Mark, we, we have been discussing, can there be departments within health food stores that are more for older people because they have different dietary needs or younger people or athletes or women versus men? So interesting. It's it's. I think that's where the conversation will go and needs to go because the, that biochemical individuality, none of what we're saying here might make sense to somebody or might even work. And yet, you know, what, what does work? Mm -hmm. It's really an invitation to open that conversation. And that's something I really took away from our conversation with Aaron Livers a couple of weeks ago when sure. we talked about vitamins and minerals. And, you know, as we're talking about the need for farmers to be nutritionists, I also think that having a nutritionist as part of your team, like mm -hmm. your lawyer and your accountant and your nutritionist, it's really valuable to have somebody who understands what your specific profile is and what things you need. I mean, that's, I learned a lot by working with nutritionists over the years while I was working at Bowman College. So so I'm going to move into another superfood. Yes, which is in, now in every everything. It, it is like. in everything. I mean, the, the largest in, in my 20, 25 years in the food movement, the largest single thing, and maybe because it's the most recent one, so it's the one I remember the most, but really it's, it, it has almost 
an explosion of awareness around the benefits of this food. And you can find it everywhere in, in so many forms, in so many foods. And that's coconut. It is. It is coconut. <laughs> it is coconut. And coconut... Produce. <laughs> coconut has been eaten in traditional cultures around the world for a very long time. And so research is now confirming a lot of the things that these cultures have known to be health-promoting benefits of coconut. Coconut contains lauric acid, which is an antibacterial and an antiviral. It also contains caprylic acid, which is an antifungal. So it's really... Something that people recommend if you're fighting candida. I think the only other place where we find caprylic acid is in breast milk. So that's a really unique thing, the way that it helps to boost your your body's immunity. And it also contains medium-chain triglycerides. And medium-chain triglycerides are a fatty acid that um, the NYU Langone Medical Center is saying, as well as many other people who just understand the, the difference between your short-chain fatty acids, your medium-chain fatty acids, and your long-chain fatty acids are these medium chain triglycerides are more available to burn for energy. Your body uses more of them than they do storing them with the others. So there has been a lot of research out there that shows how coconut is a positive benefit if you're trying to lose weight. And we did an entire episode on coconut with Dr. Bruce Fife, who's like the leading researcher when it comes to coconut. So that's an excellent episode yeah. to check out. He's extremely biased too. Because he just <laughs> he <is> biased. Coconut. <laughs> But, yeah, that was phenomenal, including the differences in growing and, you know, the, our, our understanding of environmental sustainability, of course, doesn't stop when you leave the local food shed. And so he had a lot to say on right. growing methods and palm oil and coconut and the health benefits and Uh, he was saying that coconut water was used as an IV because it's so close to the human blood that in the Second World War, when blood reserves were low, people used coconut juice to yeah. coconut water as a supplement as a for, yeah, just mm -hmm. to, to keep blood flow going. Yeah. Amazingly beneficial. That's a really great episode to check out. So okay. before we wrap, yes. let's cover the last one. And this one might be people's least favorite from the superfood list. And I think part of that might be because it's just a, a little bit more foreign and maybe not as familiar with how to eat it. Or let's call it, it might just not taste as good as all the others. <laughs> oh, are you just going to just put that out there? Well, so we're talking about spirulina. And spirulina is a freshwater algae. It's a blue-green algae. And And I used to feel this way I because I was raised a vegetarian. I don't do well with sea vegetables because they taste to me the way that fish smells. And I have a natural aversion to that because I was raised vegetarian. So I was never a fan of sea vegetables. But spirulina... Until we had that episode just a few weeks back on well, seaweed. I've always been a fan of seaweed <laughs> as far as their nutritional benefits. But it's not been yeah. something that I can tolerate to eat because it reminds me so much of fish. Spirulina is, like I said, a freshwater blue green algae. And some research is now saying it is one of the very few, if not one of the only foods that if it was the only thing you ever ate for the rest of your life, you could live on it because it is so nutrient dense. And that's part of the reason we saved it for the last. I mean, it's a wonderful protein source. It has a spectrum of vitamins and minerals. It is. It does contain omega-3s. And
And it does contain the DHA and the EPA form of omega-3s, which is the one that is shown to be the most health beneficial. It's a great source of chlorophyll, obviously. Chlorophyll is basically like the green blood of plants. You know, it's very similar to the HEMA in our blood. And it also has B vitamins. It's great for energy and mood and skin clarity and blood sugar balance. It's just, there's so much research out there. The second you start reading about spirulina, you're going to be wondering, why am I not eating this? And Mark, what what name this as a produce item? Well, Would you not? <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the produce family. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> that, that I'm going to say it's going to stretch it just a little bit, yeah, really? but, but we'll look, we'll look yeah. further into it. So one thing that I want to recommend if you're getting into spirulina and you're not a sea vegetable fan, because this is what made the difference for me. I worked at an all-organic vegan raw food restaurant in New York called Pure Food and Wine that served a grapefruit juice with blue-green algae. It's a beautiful color. And something about the grapefruit juice, the acidity and the bitterness of it Mm -hmm. neutralizes that flavor. And I, in fact, now prefer grapefruit juice with blue-green algae now. So try that out and see if you are experiencing any number of the health benefits that are attributed to this superfood. And interestingly enough, in my experience, Mark, coming coming actually indeed back to produce, all the blue-green produce items that you can add to that, for example, blueberries and spirulina, beautiful. If you have a blueberry flaxseed spirulina smoothie, you might still get a hint of the spirulina taste, whether you like it or not. And maybe adding grapefruit will completely eradicate that. But that is a really wonderful mix that you can create. Some strawberries, some blueberries, and then a little bit of spirulina to boost those phytonutrients even more wonderful. And it is a little bit. That's a good thing to consider is when you start looking at these superfoods is what's the right quantity. And spirulina, I mean, I use, if I'm using a powdered spirulina, a powdered blue-green algae, a quarter teaspoon is what I take a day. If it's in the flakes, if it's the like crystal mana blue-green algae flakes, then a teaspoon maybe. But you've got to find out what's the right quantity for your body, speak with your nutritionist or doctor uh, or naturopath and, you know, start small and work your way up. And blend. I mean, really what I found is like I used to try to do it in a shaker cup. It didn't quite work for me, Mm. but I put it in a blender (laughs) and actually really got it really blended up. And barely. And we're not going to talk about the days where you tried it as a teaspoonful (laughs) on its own. (laughs) Yeah, really hard. (laughs) You'll be chewing on that one for weeks. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Wolkay. And I'm Citarani Palomar. Still chewing on it. Our topic: five superfoods boosting health and flavor in this episode. And those were walnuts, flax, sweet potato, coconut, and spirulina. And uh, for more information, always, of course, check out our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation where we'll see a blog about this. At some point, you will see a blog. (laughs) Wonderful. And we are staying in the general category of produce that spirulina might be part of. We're still working on that. We're lobbying for that. So it's all inclusive. Five superfoods boosting health and flavor. Our focus in this hour. And of course, much in the world of healthy nutrient-dense nutrition ranks around the world of produce and that's what's coming next. Here's what's in season with our very own Mark Mukihi. can't not do that. I, he can't I not hardly do that. blame him. I, you want to do it too, Earl? Next time you get to do the yeehaw. 
Um, so it sings in one heart. So the cat's out of the bag, of course. We've got Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco market, <laughs> on the line with us to talk about. We're we, we're going to go in. We wanted to go into some things. Is this is a time of year right now where you can get things that you can't get all year long. I mean, there are versions of these things that you can get all year long, but these specific varieties are only here now pretty much across the country. Right, Earl? You know, there is so much like that right now because, first of all, the whole country is producing product. You know, whether you're in Rhode Island, whether you're in the South Carolina and Alabama, uh, there is regional markets going on everywhere, farmers markets, if, if you will. Every little, I, I remember visiting a friend up in upstate New York and a tiny little place, Millbrook. It's a little retirement place and, and they had a little farmers market. There was about five farmers there and a, and a beekeeper and they have unique product that is grown specifically there. So, Make sure you get out there, and some of the things you're going to find are absolutely unique to your area, but we want to focus on a couple things that are really prevalent in lots of different faces. And I want to mention one of them real quick, peppers. You can find so many different kinds of peppers because it's endless, but I want to name a couple. Padrone, and uh, see if I can pronounce this one, the Hishikto. Anyway, those are two very interesting peppers. See if you can find them. Ask about them in the next year. If they're not grown this year, you'll find them. Well, the main you, thing of this conversation is about eggplant, because you can find eggplant year-round in the off-season, grown in hothouse somewhere or coming up from Mexico, and it's that deep, rich, purple globe. And occasionally you might find a long, oblong one. But this time of year, you can find almost endless, endless varieties and they come in all different shapes, all different colors, and they and their purposes can be multifaceted. And one of the big things about it is that they absorb flavor like you won't believe. And that was my little intro. So eggplant. Now, lots of people have an experience that that it can be bitter, and that and that's true if it's overgrown or if it's been stored, or that's your experience in the winter. But in the summer, if you pick real tender firm but tender. They can have incredible flavor and sweet, creamy textures to them. Because we've got to remember, this is a tropical plant. You have to treat it with care, and you don't want to refrigerate it very cold. But on the other hand, if you leave it out, it's a high moisture content, so it's going to lose its moisture. So, Earl, you were just saying they absorb flavor like you wouldn't believe it. They absorb flavor? What do you mean by that? Well, they're just very absorbent. If you if you cut, let's just take a regular globe eggplant, also known as a black beauty. They're the big, uh, you know, kind of globe. And if you cut one from side to side or up and down, if you, if you notice the texture, it's it's uh, spongy. It's soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It's it's got some substance to it. And so if you cook it, I mean, they. I, my understanding and what I've experienced is that they absorb flavor like spices really well. Or garlic, olive or, oil, or, or yeah. different different oils that you want to use, and so that's one of the unique characters. Mm. There, they're very absorbent, so they can they can kind of match some uh, some other items that you have uh, cool. that you're cooking with. Sure, I think that's all extremely true, and I want to, Mark. You were saying that this time of year with the heirloom eggplant could be the difference of whether or not you like eggplant because there are people who don't enjoy it. Earl, you were talking about sometimes it's bitter, but but yeah. and and how these are tender right now, but this time of year, really, it's a different experience. Well, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we had an eggplant when we were out to dinner that was a, uh, 
an Italian eggplant, a long, slender eggplant, deep, rich purple. And that was cooked with a little salt and pepper and oil grilled. And it was amazing. And some of these eggplants that are available now, like the Rosa Bianca or the Japanese white egg or the Ping Tong or some of these, they're so tender and they're so sweet right now. They'll change your opinion on eggplant if you're willing to just take a little shot on them. And this is the kind of the time of year that they're only here right now. And they you could put a, a group of these eggplants together and the colors and the textures and the striping mm-hmm. just putting them in a bowl in your you know on your counter would be enough to make you want to eat them <laughs> I well, love we, that. you know originally when they were first brought over from the old country they, they were or, ornamental people weren't really sure what to do with them be, you know sometimes because it was very bitter so yeah they're beautiful you know lavender is really one yes. of the colors that really strikes me it's just you know and the plant itself is very beautiful you know, one thing to remember is that it's very delicate and you do not want to overcook it. So, you know, there's some things you want to, you want to be aware of. Sometimes it has a tough skin. Some, sometimes you want, may want to peel the skin. Maybe this is the time to get out there and try some of those weird-looking things if, if it is to you. But be attracted by their beautiful color. Uh, you know, adore their wonderful shapes and take a leap into the eggplant world. Well, and I love this recommendation. I wait to make one specific dish this time of year, and that is my ratatouille. Because the eggplant that you get right now is nothing like the eggplant that you see in the market the rest Mark, of the year. Mark, have you had that from Sita? Because I surely have not. I hear her talk about it for about three years yeah, now. Ev- yeah, every fall. Yeah, yeah, it's every like fall, this amazing ratatouille it's dish. The best I know. Cook. Okay, yeah, I the know. next time we're yeah. in the studio, okay. mm-hmm. Good. you hear yeah. me talk about yeah. it, but you haven't yeah. had it because it'll, it can only make it this time of year. Show, me the, these, show me the eggplant. These are the eggplants yeah. that work in this dish. So here is how here is how I have found to neutralize any bitterness in eggplant. And that is after you slice it, salt it really well, and then put it in a colander with some kind of weight on top of it. And that will drain out a lot of the compounds that make your eggplant taste bitter. So you're pressing it out. And then when you're done, you rinse it and dry it really well so that you don't have all that salt on it. And it's not too riddled with moisture before you cook it. So I saute the eggplant with some peppers, Earl, you were saying, another thing that's right now in season, some zucchini until it gets a little bit of gold color. And then I finish it in a tomato sauce that has coriander and marjoram in the oven. I can make it in the off season with the classic eggplant mm-hmm. that you see on the shelves. But the, the eggplant that you're getting right now in September and October is just... It's a Ooh, it's next show. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> and and, and like you said, Helga, you know, the great part of it is whether it's in the winter or the summer or the fall, we're still not tasting it. So it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, there are so many different varieties. And, you know, a friend of mine once said, because we were looking at different varieties and different colors, and some of them are so close. One's just a little bit smaller than the other, but it has another name. So he said, well, why don't we just let it grow and we'll call it another name? Lots of different shapes and sizes, lots of different names. And it's a good year, yeah? You're saying this is yeah, it's hot, well, really, really hot it really summer. Is. You know, it's, uh, it, we've had some low moisture, a lot of sunshine. You know, it's, it's a good year for lots of stuff. And so, yeah, this is a good year to try it. 
get out there and grab some eggplant. And I love that there's a color that you cannot describe that that eggplant yeah. has that is, that we now call eggplant. We just it's rare that a <laughs> piece exactly that a that a piece of produce has its own color scheme so yeah. much so that society did not come up with something better <laughs> but to call it, you know, aubergine <laughs> or eggplant in Europe it's called aubergine. Huh. Beautiful and yeah, good good for the eggplant. Go eggplant. Yeah. Right. Go eggplant. 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 eggplant is where it's at. Thank you. I think that <laughs> does come back. To you all. Thank you, Earl. I think it does come back to that thing that everything revolves around produce. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Thanks, Earl. Earl. We'll talk to you next, yeah, week. next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Take care. Bye. You know, a friend of mine was making, she grows these beautiful tender eggplant in her garden. And she she said the other night, oh, my God, I figured out how to make good eggplant. I've never known what she's doing. And I watched her do it the other night, and her eggplant just tasted so brilliant. She slices it really thin in long strips and then puts it on a pan. She uses a nonstick pan, but when I do it, I'll just put a piece of parchment paper on so that it doesn't stick to the pan as you roast it. But she uses a pastry brush to to put oil on it so it's not saturated oh, with yeah. oil and then puts the salt and pepper on top and puts it in the oven and turns it until it gets tender. Unbelievable. Oh, that's a good tip. It seems so logical now, but using a pastry brush, when you just put olive oil directly on it, you have, exactly, it's such a sponge reaction that you know exactly where you where you did oh, it you and where you it. missed it. Yeah, it's true. So it's much better to put the pastry brush in a little container with oil in a little you know glass And then just make have even strokes over the eggplant way better. Smart, huh? Good. And this show have you had that oven roasted eggplant? No, but oh, I'm sure okay. yeah, that's I'm sure it's the good. You two talk like week. you're so deprived. If the rest of the audience knew the way you eat, yeah. oh, well, delicious episode, superfoods of health and flavor. That was this week's edition of an organic conversation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. bye. <laughs> An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Dot com forward slash an organic conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.